welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. So folks, uh, we're going to have an experiment here. This could be a complete train wreck, but I don't care because I like having fun. Um, and I, I, when so when the when they first uh, gave us the premiere date for uh, the FX uh, uh, and Hulu series under the banner of Heaven, I thought you know I should do like an after show. Uh, and there, there's your copy. And uh, and so I was thinking, who would I like to have as a guest host? And I thought maybe every week, if this works out, I'll have like a different guest host on. But I one thing I really liked was when I interviewed you. Um, I felt like we had good chemistry. I even think like in, in, a, in, a, in an alternative timeline, I think you're doing a morning show on KSL. That's it. That's it. And we're co-hosts together, I feel. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So Rebecca Biblioteca, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. So uh, we, I, I reached out to her this past weekend and I said, hey, would you be interested in doing the first episode of the after show of Under the Banner of Heaven? You said, sure, let's do it. So Literally, I just finished watching the second episode about an hour and a half ago. And Rebecca, I just, I, I guess really for me, I, I want to just hear from you, your take and what you, uh, what you, what your initial feelings were after watching the first two episodes. How, what, 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 uh, what did you make of it? Yeah, I think I've had an interesting journey with Under the Banner of Heaven um, and watching the miniseries has been greatly anticipated by myself and other members of our book club. We read um, Under the Banner Heaven, one of our books um, during book club last July and spent the entire month with it, uh, researching it, reading it. Um, I even drove to the location where the event happened, which is an American Fork. Um, we loved this book. Our discussion was amazing. And during that month, the, ironically, the news came out that there was going to be a mini series. I mean, we couldn't believe it. We just thought this is incredible. This is going to be amazing. Um, and we really hoped that just the way that John Krakauer did it, just some light would be shed on sort of the history of Mormonism, some things that people may not know, some things that exist um, that aren't really at the forefront that that sometimes, I don't know, maybe a catalyst for some other ideas, events, things to happen. So we were all really excited about the mini series and we followed it, we posted things about it. Um, we were ready to have a watch party on Thursday night. And then we found out uh, kind of inadvertently that it actually dropped Wednesday night at midnight, you know, so we stayed up late watching it. So um, I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting treatment. That's what I'll say. I feel the first two episodes that I've seen didn't necessarily to me represent my experience with the book. Mm. If you know, do you know what I'm saying by that? I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that because you've read the book too. Mm -hmm. To me, they seem almost two very separate things. So I don't know, I'm so attached to the book that I'm, I think I'm looking forward to looking to watching the rest of the miniseries to see if maybe it finds its footing a little more as far as uh, getting a little closer to the book. Of course, it says inspired by the book. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean based on the book. That that's kind of something different. So, so I'm not sure. What do you think? Well, I just think that the the decision they made to make a fictionalized character. The Andrew Garfield character is not an actual person that's in the book. It's probably Correct. an amalgamation of different people who are inspired. Correct. 
I thought that was an interesting choice because to me, I almost feel like the story is so interesting and remarkable to have to feel like you need to make a fictionalized character when you have real life characters that are pretty amazing. I thought that was an interesting choice that they made. Um, I think that I was kind of surprised uh, by the format. I almost felt like I, I was <laughs> mentioned off camera. Like, it's kind of like an anti-Hallmark movie. It has like a feel like like a, like a Lifetime movie or a Hallmark movie. And I wasn't expecting that. I was kind of thinking of something, I don't know, maybe a little more substantial uh, than what it is. That's just kind of a minor critique, but I definitely feel that way. Yeah, now I had that observation too. I think that the flashback starting so quickly and so abruptly, I think that that was maybe confusing, I think, to, to people who might not know anything about it and even a little confusing to those of us that do and a little disjointed in that way. And of course I thought, okay, in the book, yes, in the book, they definitely delve into all of that, but just in a more of easing you into it and a way that makes a little bit more sense. I think with the character of Jeb, I, I think maybe he was trying to, you know, his detective partner is a never Mormon. So you have that as sort of, a reader's perspective and then you have the Mormon reader perspective and so I think he was trying to show the two different sides of it possibly um, but it was very interesting that, that that was a choice I'm not sure what else they could have done um, and then I think what did you think about Alan to me he was sort of a um, omniscient narrator kind of a person do you know what I mean he almost took the role of describing everything that Krakauer so carefully crafted. You know, he's there in the interview room and suddenly his eyes glaze over and he starts saying, Joseph Smith, you know, it was just kind of interesting to me the way he did that, you know, and gave these long discourses on what was happening. Yeah, just, and that was so, so weird to me is like, you literally have the blood of your wife on your shirt and you've lost your child and you're going to give this detective a history lesson of Mormonism. Right. I just thought that's right. an odd choice I think they made there. Right, and I don't even think the detective if that were a real scenario, he wouldn't even give any, you know, he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. But instead, Jeb seemed like, what? You know, it seemed like it impacted him. And I don't think it would. I think he'd just say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, those were interesting choices. But, but again, the point is that you're trying to meld this idea that there is some history, inherent violence, you know, perhaps a propensity for those who are looking for it. Um, and I, I'm sure that's what they were trying to do. So let's talk a little bit about some of those flashbacks, because one of the things I found so fascinating was that they don't, if you're a Nevermo and you're watching this miniseries, there's things happening like they're showing Joseph using the hat, they're, they're showing him prying open a, a, a rock to get the plates, yep. they have all these, and they don't give you any context, like if somebody, they would have no idea what's going on, what'd you think of that? No, and that's true. And um, some book club members and I were kind of all watching at the same time and talking back and forth. And and one of them has a daughter who's you know been out of the church for years and years. And she was texting saying, I don't understand this. What does that mean? What is that? What's that field that guy's walking over? What's that? You know, and we, of course, know where it's leading, right? Yeah. It's almost just sort of a little tease, a little little taste of what's happening. But to others, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, they just show the Mountain Meadows Massacre. They show yes, that's what I mean. And and then, like, uh, there's just so much going on. And I'm like, if I'm, I wouldn't know. And, and I thought, mm -hmm. what a, a different thing to do, because it's like, it's almost assuming, like, it's an audience that knows Mormon history that's going to watch the show. Right. And 
there, I don't think there's tens of millions of people out there. <laughs> no, there's not. And I thought a lot of those flashbacks were very, were really overdone, like almost like a telenovela or something. I mean, will, will there ever be a movie about Mormonism where seven, someone doesn't scream, Joseph, you know, there's not going to be one. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I understood what they were trying to do. And, I, and I'm hopeful for the next episodes that maybe they will flesh out those scenarios. But I think to start 10 minutes in, just hitting people over the head with this, they have no concept whatsoever. Some comments that I I read from different people said, God, I wish it was just kind of the story of the murder. I mean, that's a fascinating story on its own without all this backstory. Of course, the point is eventually, you know, the perfect storm, you understand how the backstory and, and led to influence that. But but yeah, I'm not quite sure it worked at this point. Um, somebody in the book club, I'll read this quote. We were, like I said, we were texting back and forth and I thought this was really good. Um, said Mormons will not recognize themselves in this. And I don't think they will, especially since it's 80s Mormons. A lot of people are saying that's not us. Um, Non-Mormons won't know what the hell this is about. Sorry if I can swear. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then ex-Mormons are thinking that this is not a great job of explaining, you know, exactly the link between the history and some of the behaviors that we see now. So I thought that was good. It really, I don't think exactly perfectly reached any of those groups, if that's what it was trying to do. I don't think anybody would be satisfied with it yet at this point. Yeah. And again, we got to see where this goes. And uh, right. We have to know. see where it goes. And that's yeah. what I think too. I'm going to keep watching, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, I, I guess I want to ask you, uh, you know, you said 80s Mormonism. Now, this is this is your wheelhouse. This is your world, 70s, 80s, you know, and maybe just talk about the portrayal of like Mormon households, interactions, uh, the lingo, uh, things that really they nailed and other things you maybe think they didn't quite. quite yeah, no, quite that's right. really good. Um, I joined on Facebook the Sunstone um, watch party group. You know, it's it's huge. There's a couple thousand people, I think, on it now talking. And a lot of them said the very first scene of the of the first episode where the, the, the detective's little girls were in their costumes for Pioneer Day. And some people said, well, Mormons don't do that. And a lot of us from my era jumped in and said, oh yes, we did. And I even grew up out of state. And yes, Pioneer Day was celebrated by a parade and costumes and Pioneer Games in Washington state, you know, and other people chimed in all over, oh yes, we did. And that's just one example of you know, it was a very different church in a very different world back then. Um, another criticism was Mormons don't go around saying brother this, sister this, brother this in everyday life. Well, they did. <laughs> My parents, I mean, at least, it, and again, all this is anecdotal, right? I grew up in Washington state, but my parents would pretty much only patronize people that were Mormons. So to go to the dentist, my mom would say, you're you're going to Brother Pratt's this afternoon and, and you're going to get your teeth cleaned. You know, it wasn't you're going to the dentist, you're going to Brother Pratt's. So those scenes that may seem kind of awkward where they're calling each other brother and sister, that was my world when I grew up. Everybody was brother and sister, even in a professional context. And everybody, if they'd been a bishop before, were still bishop, you know, we, hello, bishop on the street. So um, I don't know. I don't think it quite is that way today, but, but that language... Um, talking about Heavenly Father all the time. I, I would say I was raised by Orthodox Mormons, maybe a little bit more than others mainstream. But in our house, you wouldn't just say President Kimball. You would say our beloved prophet, President Kimball. 
that just rolled off the tongue. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it was just so, so for me and the way I grew up, everything was fairly accurate. I can see how it sounded awkward in the miniseries to people that had not experienced that. But in my era, in the 80s growing up in a very consolidated Mormon pocket, it was definitely like that. Brother this, sister that, beloved prophet, heavenly father, all of that. So, well, yeah, yeah. that's it. I'm, I'm anxious to get all these different perspectives and I'm going to exactly. try to get like Benjamin Schaefer on to give the political yes. view on things like how they're shown and yep. other people. Um, and I've actually, Thomas Murphy's reached out to me, the anthropologist. So maybe we'll do something about it too. No, I think that's great because everyone's watching it from different eyes, right? Yes. I'm watching it thinking, so, so when it happened, 1984, um, Pioneer Day, I was, I can't remember if I was in Utah or about to be in Utah. We were driving to Utah for my freshman year. I, ha I had early start. I was going to move into my apartment. So I was here either that week or like the week after. So it was on the news. Things were happening. My relatives were all here in Utah. And the number one takeaway that I understood and understood for decades is that this was a case of fundamentalist Mormons doing this. I had absolutely, whatever that word means, even, you know, we know that's an extremely nuanced word, right? There's so many different things you could say about that. But it wasn't until decades later. I mean, I don't even know if it was until I read the book last year that I understood, you know, these were Mormons, what you would call mainstream in a regular ward. One of them was a counselor and a bishopric just a couple miles from where I live now. You know, I did not understand that. Definitely the narrative was either purposely crafted or just kind of let, let people, you know, arrive at that on their own, that this had nothing to do with, with the mainstream church. This was a you know, something with those guys, those fundamentalists. So, and I think, I think this miniseries is trying to definitely make a difference, um, a distinction with that, if that makes sense. They're showing Jeb, he's a mainstream Mormon, right? He's got the Relief Society coming over. He's got the nice house. He's got the cute kids. And then you've got all this talk of men with beards, right? That kind of thing. So, you know, which, which is kind of weird. People were saying, what does that mean? But I understand that point. They were trying to make the difference. There's this kind of Mormon. And then there's this kind of Mormon and he's trying to somehow show that. So I don't know if you thought that device worked or, or what your feelings were on that. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it was kind of came out weird. Like they're like Bible or book of Mormon prophets, right? Prophets, the beards. Right. But I also don't think that people understand how in the eighties, the beard was, it was a give, it was a, a sign that you were not on board with with the mainstream church. It was a big deal. You did not have a beard. You did not bring a boyfriend home who had a beard. I mean, you just didn't do it. Today, it doesn't really matter. Today, it's very mainstream. But back then, it was definitely, my dad told me a story. He goes, yeah, a young man went into President Kimball. There's always these anecdotal, you know, and he was a very nice young man, living his covenants, doing everything right. But he had a beard. And he went in and talked to President Kimball. And after the young man left, President Kimball shook his head and said, if only that young man knew what he was doing with that beard. Like it had some, you know, eternal consequence. I mean, this is a story, right? That was told to me when I was a teenager. So definitely beards were a big distinction, a way to instantly look at someone and say, you're different. There's something different going on. Yeah, so I understand where they're trying to say that. Again, does that play to modern audiences? Or like, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's it's crazy because um, 
you know, there's this uh, D.L. Moody was a famous 19th century evangelist who founded the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And he actually spoke uh, to, to the, the saints in Utah. He was the first evangelical to do that, I think. And there wasn't one until like 100 years later. Unfortunately, it was Ravi Zacharias. We won't get into that one. But, um, but it's so funny because I had some family that attended Moody Bible Institute in the 70s, and they had a prohibition on beards. And then, but then they had a picture of D.L. Moody with a beard, the founder. Yeah, beard, yeah. It, so there's cultural parallels that was going on right at the same time, even yeah. with the Belkin movement. There was this thing about beards. There was a thing, and I think it's just, especially when the LDS church adopted the 50s business culture, yeah. culture and way of dress. I think that's when it, it happened, you know, yeah. and it continues today. So just so let me ask you, what did you feel culturally that they got wrong? Like that you just felt like, no, nah, that's not accurate or it's not accurate. Gosh, or didn't you know, quite jive. I, I thought the clothes were perfect. As far as the 80s, I thought they did a great, a great job with that. Um, Gosh, that's a tough question because, well, I think a lot of people drew attention to the fact this, mm -hmm. right? Mormons don't do that. Mormons do this, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that maybe this, this is what to people who don't pray, it looks like what they think people who pray look like, right? Okay. So right away, I think people can look at that and discount the whole series. Oh, they, they don't really know Mormons because oh. they're doing this, you know, little symbols like that, I think. Oh. So, and, and they may have used that just as a universal device of prayer, because maybe not everybody worldwide knows that this is, you know, they, they might have thought we were going to, into a trance or something. Um, I don't, I think that they almost had to be a caricature of Mormonism, just maybe to get their point across, if that mm. makes sense. That, that's how I'm trying to look at some of the choices that they made. Okay. Um, again, I think the main point is that they're just trying to communicate what the book communicates um just this this world this violent world that was out there you know that i have this i don't know i maybe i shouldn't say this i i sometimes say mormons in a way i see as sleeper cells if that makes sense like ready to and and i would count myself among this back when i was you know a true believing mormon but ready to spring into action at any moment on the word of a leader or a prophet or something. And I only say that anecdotally, if I could share this. Um, so my founding ancestor was just a regular guy back in Michigan in 18, mid 1830s, had a wife, had some kids. Uh, the missionaries found him. I think it was Parley P. Pratt and Orson Hyde who went to Michigan. By 19, 1844, he had joined, he was following the path of the saints. He was in Ohio, he was in Council Bluffs. He made his way, he got another wife. He made his way to Utah. Within about 12 or 13 years, he was on the high council um, where they decided to exterminate the immigrants in the Mountain Meadows massacre. And he was the one that came out and announced to everybody, um, we've voted. The immigrants have been committed to destruction, is what the official wording was. And then he proceeded to, on the federal arrest warrant, he's listed as a shooter and a clubber. And he was one of the ones that after they shot everybody, if anybody dared to run, he would chase them down on horseback and then kill them. So my thought is, how does a normal guy walking around Michigan with a wife and kids um, suddenly 
a decade or so later become this person? You know, what is it? Would he have done something like that had he just remained in Michigan? And I think about that all the time, you know, no one else in my family knows about him. He's just their revered ancestor. I've tried a little bit to tell them they won't listen, but to me, I wrestle with that, you know, normal guy, decades later under, under this influence, under, you know, the, the societal, the social, the cultural kind of just, you know, I think just squeezed to death in that environment was able to do these things that are unthinkable to most people. So I don't know how you feel about that, but anecdotally to me, he was a sleeper cell <laughs> who sprang into action when he had to, you know, okay. to protect what was his. Well, that's fascinating because one of the things that when I, when you were first describing it, I'm thinking, and just tell me how accurate this is, but you grew up in a time when, hey, the time can come where we need to move back to Jackson County. Oh, all the time. Yep. Get ready. And then also the idea is at any time he, mm -hmm. they could bring back polygamy and you got to yep. be ready. Oh, in my family, especially, we had a big portrait of this particular polygamous ancestor in his prison clothes um, with some of the other polygamists of the day on our mantle. Like my parents definitely were, we're ready. Anything can change at any minute and we're going to return to how it was before. Yep, absolutely. Okay, very fascinating to me. Very fascinating. Yeah, and I'm so glad I'm having you on because I, I really felt like even I'm glad you're the first one because you 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 can give us a glimpse of that time period too. Time period. I know the '80s Mormon people just don't remember so. But and I don't and I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's just such a dicey issue. I mean, I have a, a more modern example. I have a a brother-in-law who was in a bishopric in California, and he met some people in his ward who were a member of a group. I don't know if the official name was the Freeman, but they operated on, on the idea of, are you a Kingsman or are you a Freeman mm. from the Book of Mormon, right? Are you beholden to taxes and the government or are you, you know, are you God's man? And he went from being just somebody kind of like you and I to somebody that eventually went to jail um, because of these views. They would go to the Capitol building and protest. Um, he stopped paying taxes. He tried to make himself sovereign. He tried to, you know, and, and there were a lot of people involved in this, kind of this underground. He would teach other people how to do it. I remember one day and we were visiting him. I was writing out my mortgage check and he goes, you know, you don't have to do that. I'm like, well, of course I have to pay my mortgage. He goes, oh no, you don't know. You know, God's way is a higher way, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and he did, and his family got involved and he eventually went to jail for some of the things that, you know, he was doing with the tax evasion and stuff. And, and while he was in jail, this Freeman group from his ward supported his family. So, you know, here's again, a normal guy goes to church, <laughs> gets involved with people who are using scriptures from the Book of Mormon scriptures to back up this, this life view. And his life definitely took a turn and, and changed forever. So I think maybe the idea is that if, if maybe you have a propensity to this, there's definitely um, doctrinal history, scriptural basis um, to act out on these things, maybe what is what it is. So just so you know, in the 70s, my family knew a lot of people that went to jail because they refused to pay taxes. So yeah. another parallel between my world. Right, it's a huge thing. And I'm not saying it's just Mormonism. I mean, I'm certainly yeah. not saying that. I'm just saying that those things exist and you get involved. And I mean, I've always thought a lot of our, now here's an example. I never really thought of, of the churches have having a violent past. You know, I kind of had to learn about that. But, and then even when I learned about it, I thought, oh, that's very much in the past. Um, 
I was a primary teacher for a very long time. That's teaching youth in the church. And it started to dawn on me. Um, they'd have little meetings where kids would get up and give a little talk to the other kids, right? Just a little. And, and um, one summer, it was all about pioneers. Bring your pioneer history story. So we'd have these little kids get up and the stories they were telling were very violent. I mean, I'll never forget this one little boy getting up and he's saying, my ancestor hit Joseph Smith. The mob was after him. There were shovels and guns and pickaxes. And they came to my ancestor's house and, and my great, great, great grandma hit him in the bed and they dragged the family. I mean, he was telling this little story and I just kind of removed myself for a minute and thought, this is not a story for a kid to be telling. <laughs> it's very violent. Yet it was a part of his history. Just like me, I grew up on those stories. They were inspirational. They were not violent. They were inspirational. Wow. Fascinating. So, yeah, it's very interesting. So I'd like to get, because you're a woman, and uh, I'd like to get a female perspective on how you feel um, the women were portrayed. Uh, first of all, how, how accurate is the portrayal of how the women were treated? Uh, like, was this kind of, did some of this ring true? Right. Uh, how, 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 do, how do you feel how accurate it reflected that? Right. No, I think that's another major theme. And I've even heard um, that... The producer that he he wanted to really push that forward you know just because that's brenda's story right she was a feminist mormon woman in the 80s which is very difficult so and i i, I told you some of my crazy stories back in our, our past interview yeah it definitely was fairly accurate i think you know and and we just all kind of accepted it we didn't know any different it isn't until you get a little older where you go hmm, that was interesting um, but not so much in the past i'll tell you an interesting story of just maybe like five or six years ago where um one of my sons was being ordained to be a teacher that means that during church um, in his little group in priesthood, where only boys go, um, they'll say a prayer to advance into the next level. So he's going to be a teacher. So anyone can attend. And it happens during church. And usually you're called out of the class that you're in. They'll come in. You'll say, hey, you know, Rebecca, um, your son, we're going to do the ordination. So go ahead and come down to this room. So the whole family gathered. So I have all sons. So me, my husband, all my sons, we all walk down toward this classroom where my son's in the classroom and we're going to go inside and, and hear this blessing for him. So my husband walks in, the, the teacher opens the door. There's a bunch of um, 13, 14 year old boys sitting in chairs, including my son. There are some other men leaders. My husband walks through the door. My older son walks through the door. My littler son, who's eight, walks through the door. I start to walk through the door and the, the person in charge goes, oh, no, no. We're doing priesthood business now for a minute. We're going to leave you out here in the hall. We're going to shut the door. And then we're going to let you in when we're done. And he shut the door. And I just stood there going, what? You know, my eight-year-old, I'm sorry. You know, I'm 50-something. I've got a freaking master's degree. I'm a professional. Yeah, I mean, I just started running through in my head. What is happening, you know? And my eight-year-old could go in and, and hear whatever it was that they were doing, and I couldn't. And so they opened the door. They let me in. I participated in the blessing, you know? But I thought, you know, in the past, if that had happened to me, even maybe 10 or 15 years earlier, I probably would, I would have gone, okay. But it's just it just doesn't fly. It does not fly today where no other place in your life hopefully women are relegated like that you know and so interestingly um like i said i taught primary 
um, I taught seven-year-old girls and boys, and we had a lesson on the priesthood. There was not one girl in that class that didn't under that didn't think she, they all thought they were going to get the priesthood. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. That tells me that their parents at home were not explaining. Because how do you explain to your daughter when, in every aspect of the, your life, you're as good as bo a boy, you can do whatever you want, the sky's the limit, you know, everywhere. Yet in this avenue, you have to say, but not that. So it tells me that things are are changing, you know, and and. And what's interesting though is the little boys in the class, they all knew the girls weren't going to get the priesthood. And they told me, you're not going to get, yeah, I mean, it was really, I felt like, I almost felt like I'd started talking about sex or something. I had to say to them, go home and talk to your parents about this. <laughs> but, but yeah, I know things are changing because women are just not going to have it. They're not, they're raised in a totally different way. In the eighties, it was what it was. We just didn't think much about it. Oh, the boys get all these activities and, and the things that we're doing is I remember passing off a requirement for one of my church classes where I learned to paint my fingernails. <laughs> it's a different day, right? So mm. I've always thought there should be, somebody should make TikTok videos or something about what the 80s church was like because it was very different. And, and people don't, they don't understand that it's a fluid thing, you know, it's just flowing. The church is very different. So, and you can, like my parents live, I would say in the 60s church, okay. you know, they still think, you know, those things are, are what's happening now they haven't really updated if you will but i don't know is that true of other religions i mean it probably is that there's a way things were and then things morphed culturally societally i mean do you do you find that oh yeah yeah there's definitely yeah yeah, yeah. and i think the evangelical church is going to be radically different 20 30 years from now than it is oh now. absolutely and it's all based on culture i mean i'm not saying oh this is only mormons it's it's the world at large absolutely. i mean that's exactly what it is so yeah, i agree yeah so real quick, so folks, what we're doing, this is a synopsis of episodes one and two of Under the Banner miniseries. It's on Hulu and FX here in the United States. Those of you who are watching in other countries, check whatever services provided. The episode one was called When God Was Love, and episode two is Rightful Place. Rightful Place, so, interesting. We're just talking about women. Um, and yeah. um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you have this book club called the Book Good Book Club, and you actually, like you said, it was last year that you did the... Uh, the In July. Okay, so you did Under the Banner of Heaven, and I just kind of want, maybe you could tell me about the impact that the book had on the group, like some I'm sure had already read it, or you read it for the first yeah. time. Maybe just give me a, a little idea of what, what the reaction was to the book in the book club. Yeah, it was, it was, I would say one of our pivotal books. Um, a lot of people, the book club is made up of people who are post-Mormons, meaning, you know, they've sort of left being a practicing Mormon. Of course, we are all still cultural Mormons, right? Especially when you leave decades into your life, right? Also, some are nuanced Mormons, meaning that they're still attending, you know, spouses are attending, but they do have questions. So for some in the book club, they knew a lot of the information in this book. They knew a lot about um, some of the, I hate to use the word violent. I guess that's the only word you can use. Some of the violent history of the church, mountain meadows, some of the things that happened in Utah territory, what it was really like. Some knew, others knew nothing about it. And you could tell, having read the book, that their minds were just blown. They really had no idea what was really happening. They didn't know that, in the federal government, they were having meetings about the Mormon problem. You know, here's this group out here, this theocracy, right? Completely apart from the United States, um, considers themselves not part of the United States. Is this a threat? 
is this, you know, is this an ongoing threat? Is this something that we need to worry about? Um, it just kind of opened all our minds to the fact that things aren't the way we really thought that they were. Um, after this, in August, we read Blood of the Prophets by Will Bagley, which was a very in-depth look at Mountain Meadows Massacre. And we went to the site. So these two books together, I mean, it was heavy. <laughs> like we spent that whole end of the summer just really delving into that early Mormonism and, and just some of those situations that are just so difficult. So the, the couple books we did after that, we had to pick some lighter things, secular Buddhism, <laughs> so that we could <laughs> from what we'd learned. But you know, it was it was a revelation to to a lot of people, and it just helped us, I think, understand our ancestors better. Um, it helped for some. It was frustrating because we felt like a lot of our family members, a lot of people in your just your average world, they don't know about this. You know. I think you do need to know who you were to understand who you are, good or bad, and and they didn't know and and they don't know. I faced that with my family trying to introduce some things and they just won't hear anything about it. So, but I think it's important. And I know we can't judge everybody back then by today's, I don't know, today's standards, anything like that. But it's important to know. I think it really is. So. Well, and that's why this mini series is awesome. The book was incredible. The mini series, I think, is going to just open up a lot of conversations. And that's what I see on a lot of the threads that I'm reading in the forums and things. Well, everybody's not on board with everything in the mini series so far, as far as choices and devices and do they work or do they not work? I think everybody agrees that this is important information to try to get out in some way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. You know, you'd ask me off camera if you read anything. I, I I've always had this thing. I don't. I do book reviews, but I don't read movie reviews. You don't read it reviews. I want to go in not knowing anything about it as least yeah. amount as I can. So I know I've, I've seen some of the headlines and some of the critiques. I know Jim Bennett said it's garbage and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I'm like, okay, but I don't really want to be influenced. So I, like I said, it's only been about two hours ago when I finished uh, part two. Um, yeah, and I, I love this. And folks, just so you know, I, uh, this is not an anti-Mormon show. As a matter of fact, I think you all know that. This is a channel that's talking to all the voices of the restoration. And uh, Rebecca is one of those voices. Um, and she gives us some great insights to that time and era, uh, some of the doctrines that were taught, some of the beliefs. And even it just sounds so interesting that there's a lot of your familial history and your personal history that seems to parallel a lot of what's going on in this program, which I find truly fascinating. So I want to thank you for giving me that perspective as well, because again, I, I'm genuinely curious about these things. I don't live in Utah. Right. You know, I, I'm not plugged in. I'm plugged in in some ways, but I'm not plugged in that way. So thank you for giving me uh, your unique perspective on this. Well, that's what makes you perfect, Stephen, though, is to talk to everybody because you do, you know, you have an understanding of everybody. You listen to everybody's points of view. You you can talk to everyone, which is great. You're universal. So thank you. And I'd like to get a faithful Mormon on. Maybe, maybe yeah. I should have Jim Bennett come on, you know. And you know what? You absolutely should. I I'm gonna keep watching all the ones that you do because I think everyone's gonna have a different completely different take on it and we can all learn things from those different points of view yeah yeah and now i know and now if some of my previous guests have been on and, and and like kimberly smith and she said that you should not watch it because they're going to be showing the temple ritual um, oh and i you know i just want to say i respect i mean i i don't like right. to go and talk about that stuff as a matter of fact i've never watched the rich the stuff that was put up on new name, new name noah i've never even watched the oh. hidden video footage because i i feel that icky 
yeah. <laughs> about have, it. Have you ever seen Big Love? The oh, HBO yeah, of course movie? I've seen that. Yeah, you know, and I remember that was kind of a big, shocking scandal. They were going to show that, and they read letters from the pulpit, don't watch that, you know. Yeah. And, and I watched the series Big Love. I actually enjoyed it, and I watched that scene and I mean it was very I thought it was very respectful it was just about a woman who was going to be leaving Mormonism to become more of a fundamentalist knew she couldn't attend anymore and wanted to go one last time if I remember correctly and to me it was it wasn't sensationalized at all it just simply showed what it was and then you can beg the question well should they even show that or, or not you know and I, I don't know if they're going to sensationalize it here I mean if they do some kind of like the flashbacks those are kind of you know ah maybe that won't be good but i don't know i i'm not sure how i feel of course when i watch big love i I've, I've always been kind of a i don't know kind of a cultural mormon but not a believing mormon if that makes sense even since i was a little kid i just have always <laughs> been in it but not of it so i'm sure i didn't feel the shock that other people would feel over it but We'll see how they treat it. We will see. And I saw that on Hulu to advertise it, the scene from the temple was that, you know, so that's very, I'm sure, upsetting to a lot of people that are are still. And I just want to be sensitive to that, you know, um, because again, this this is not a channel to to exploit yep. or make fun and yep. just be respectful. Nope. It's just a dialogue, absolutely. And I figure there's millions of people watching this series and I'd like to get all the different um, perspectives to kind of just share their values and their views on the whole thing. Again, uh, it's the under the banner of heaven series. I do, I do recommend the book. As a matter of fact, I, um, I read, I did in first season did a book review and actually it's been getting a lot of views lately because uh, of it's uh, people are searching for it. So I'll check out my review. That's during my hostage video uh, period when, when all my book reviews look like hostage videos. So it's the production values aren't quite there, but uh, but I gave it uh, a good uh, Everyone review. starts somewhere, right? That's so right. And the content was awesome. So yeah. I, maybe you should do another review of it, you know, a part two and delve more into it because yeah. maybe you should now that it's getting so much play. So yeah, I would highly recommend the book too. I mean, to me, the book and the miniseries almost, they're just, they're so different. Like they're very different. So okay. Yeah, I got, I picked that up too. So yeah. you're with the Good Book Club and you're, you are, you have a Facebook group. That's how people can reach you. The Book, yeah. book, book Club. Look us up the Good Book Club on Facebook or the Good Book Club on Instagram or, yep, they can just try to find us. So yeah. we have a lot of fun. We're reading Escape from Camp 14 this month, which would be really interesting and in having the author Blaine Harden on to talk. So we read all kinds of different books from Mormon history to, you know, just, just anything. Yeah, it's interesting. And of course, I found you guys last year. And you did. You know, I was just and then you got tiny too little... famous and too busy to attend all the time. No, <laughs> I know. I feel bad. No, it's, you uh... don't have to feel bad because you're very much a part of it. And and like I said, my husband watched. If you guys haven't watched his uh, Mormon Stories podcast episodes, a plug for that. You've got to watch them. My husband watched all of them and he just, he quotes all the time in book club and everywhere. So <laughs> a lot of good stuff there. If you guys have not watched that, please tune into that. Stephen can tell you more how to access those, but they yeah. were amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is. It's pretty remarkable. The amount of views it's gotten and hearing from people throughout the world. And yeah, and, uh, and now it's just, uh, you know, I've become part of the conversation. My channel has, and it's mm -hmm. just fascinating to have like you know, a little over a year yeah. later and it's impactful. Well, we need but, you. That's what I'm saying. You see all sides of it and you talk to everybody and you're very respectful of everybody and you're, you know, you're not going to have somebody on and, and, you know, railroad them into a corner or confront them. You're going to sincerely listen to their view and help them get their message out there. And that's, that's what's needed for sure. Yeah. 
And I want to give you guys your props uh, to the Good Book Club, because like you said, authors. So now you guys have gotten to the point now where you're actually having the authors of some of the books that you're reading coming on. And you also do like, to, uh, it's usually like, a, uh, what Sunday every month is it you guys usually meet? This is um, we're on the second Sunday of each month at 11 a.m. Okay, so and that would be Mountain Time. And mountain then, Time, sorry, yes, Mountain and then Time. sometimes you'll do weekday things where you'll have like a special presentation given by an author or somebody. Like you did, yeah. I sat in on one last fall about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Yep, do. So. Yep. We have a series that we call The Good Book Club for Post-Mormon Dummies. And dummies in the way that that sometimes Mormons being raised the way, the way they were don't necessarily know some things they should know. We've had episodes on how to have conversations with people of a differing opinion or an episode about evolutionary psychology. Next month, we're having one that we're calling Coffee 101. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Because literally, you know, if that's something that you now want to try, if you're more of a post-Mormon, you have no idea how to do it or how to order it, right? You go to Starbucks and you're like, can I have a... Uh, fettuccine Alfredo you know you don't even know what's happening so anyway it's all just kind of fun and mostly we just like to get together and talk because it's a really fun group of people so well Rebecca Biblioteca thank you so much for coming on to the program this wasn't a train wreck it turned out just fine I don't think it was a train wreck but it never is with you at all so and I'm super excited to see who you come I have on next so this is going to be great all the different perspectives I love it Great. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody else is doing it. So, hey, you know, folks, uh, check out Mormon Book Reviews. Don't forget, folks, that I have a Patreon page if you want to help uh, support the channel. Also, uh, uh, PayPal, if you want to give a donation. We're on all the major podcast formats now. You can reach me at mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. Um, uh, and uh, also Mormon Book Reviews, uh, www.mormonbookreviews.com is going to be our, uh, we're converting it into a merch store. So you can buy hats and uh, uh shirts and coffee mugs hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have you that have up and running merch now that's gonna i'm gonna have to get a mug that's my signature thing i always have a different mug. i'm gonna have to get a mug for sure that's awesome that's awesome so anyway folks things are going great i really uh, i'm looking forward to getting your responses to this video like i said this is kind of an experiment if this goes well and i get good responses then i hopefully will for the next five six weeks we'll be doing this so rebecca thank you so much for coming on doing a real solid for me and everybody you all have yourself a great day